be serious. Serious. Well, welcome back to the Backhanders after a four-month hibernation, waiting in the wilderness for some actual tennis to roll back around. We are the podcast that brings you all the ins and outs from the greatest game, the game of tennis, covering each tennis slam and of course, unafraid to slam tennis. I'm your host, Lightning, and with me, the other half of this unlikely doubles pairing is a man with a booming serve for anyone who so much as steps on a tennis court. It's Catters. Catters, welcome. Bonjour, Lightning. <laughs> uh, or as we call you in France, Le Petit Thunderbolt. Uh, I'm just really getting myself in the french spirit here i've been uh, as you can see i'm wearing stripes i have the baguette over the shoulder um i've been on strike from my job for the last two weeks trying to embrace my inner francais um so Good. great to be with you again um how incredible is tennis as a sport i mean in my mind for the last 30 years i always thought that the players went from the australian open on holiday mm. and then showed up on clay which let's face it is the devil's dirt <laughs> but apparently there are tournaments in the interim i know yeah it's fascinating isn't it who would have thought and look that's where this podcast becomes very important for those casual observers of this great game of tennis you will be totally unfamiliar with how much happens between these first two slams it's four months it's the biggest gap between any of the slams so one thing we do with this podcast is give you a very slicing commentary on the game, but we also take you behind the scenes and give you insight into all the things that have happened whilst you've been actually doing something legitimate with your lives other than watching tennis. So we're going to do that by letting you hear the segment, Come On. I've got nothing in my head. I'm just really excited and I want to hug the whole stadium. <laughs> So, Catters, tell me, what have you been excited about? What are you pumped up about since the last time we spoke? I am pumped about a certain female Canadian tennis player, and it is not Eugenie Bouchard. Okay. Eugenie Bouchard, stop taking selfies and start swinging a racket on the practice court for the love of mankind. I think the problem is she's been... She's been particularly focused on mankind, and that's <laughs> part of the problem. Seriously, just focus on your tennis. Anyways, uh, this is about uh, a new up-and-comer, Bianca Andreescu, who finds herself currently ranked 23 in the world. This girl is going to be something. Uh, they're talking her up as the next... Um, well, the next tennis player, I believe. <laughs> the next tennis player, yeah. Martina Hingis, they're saying. And I don't remember Martina right. Hingis for necessarily having the guns on the court, do you? I mean, Ooh. no. Well, that's what's incredible about this young girl. Often female tennis players come on the scene, they're solid, they, they can bob up, steal a tournament. She's got power. Major, major power. Ooh. I can understand the all-court game that she has, and that's why there are similarities to Martina Hingis. But she has some major weapons, backhand, forehand. Um, she can serve, which is handy because most points start with that. She's really got it all. <laughs> and what's she done this year? What's she, what's well, she done? what drew, drew her to my attention, there's a little tournament called Indian Wells that takes place in the US. I feel like maybe it's 
almost like um, just below the Australian Open and US Open in terms of hard court participation of all the big stars. So she rocks up there. She beats Chibulkova in the second round. She then goes on to beat a couple of no-namers, get to the quarterfinals. She beats Muguruza in the quarters. Mm. In the semis, she beats Svitolina. And then in the final, she beat mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually Angelique Kerber, <laughs> crushing <laughs> Kerber into the dirt. And if there's one thing we know about Angelique Kerber, not a good loser. So I did appreciate no. when they shook hands at the net and Kerber said something along the lines of, you're just a baby or something? Or you're drama queen. Yeah. Biggest drama queen I've ever played. Biggest drama queen. Yeah. Kerber was not happy. Suffice to say, this is what is exciting me because Andrew Eskew, despite having a surname that I will never be able to pronounce, she's just mm. an up-and-coming talent. All-court game. She's annoying people. She's a prodigious talent. She wears her heart in a sleeve, which I like. We will mention some other players coming up in uh, today's podcast who also like to wear their hearts um, on their sleeve. I think it's good for tennis. I think we should shake it up. And I have absolutely no problem with tennis players battling it out on court in a public manner. I think it's great. And to be doing it as an 18-year-old is what's impressive, to bring that feist. So so look out. You may not have heard of her, but coming into the French Open, she's actually going to be a threat. She's been doing a fair bit of damage in this four-month hiatus. For me, I think the thing um, I've been amazed about is there's been a bucket load of tournaments. The first 33 tournaments of the year between both men and women all had different winners. It was quite incredible. So here you have this Djokovic dominant out of the Australian Open. You thought he'd take all before him. Well, he's had some patchy form immediately out of the Open, which, of course, it's made for interesting tennis, but, man, it makes the French Open particularly open because there's been a lot of people rising up and a lot of people with surprisingly patchy form. So that's certainly been something that's excited me in the interim. So, Catters, what else has happened in this four-month gap? Anything else we need to let people know about? Not really. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It's just been a lot of tournaments and as you said, a lot of different people winning who we'll probably never hear about again. (laughs) Again, we do the hard work. We follow the results. We look for the interesting subplots in the sport and rest assured, you haven't missed much. (laughs) There's one plot line though that is important for our listeners because they're going to be surprised when they see it and that's that Curios has brought back the underarm serve. He won his first tournament in Mexico. First tournament for quite some time yeah and uh to do so against nadal big moments he nailed him with the underarm serve that's true so incredible since then he opened a match stepped up to the plate underarm serve unbelievable i mean you just we thought it was an anomaly we thought he was having an off day and then uh backed it up uh recently in a tournament and apparently went the underarm serve fake then threw the ball up and rifled it Unbelievable. People forget that on his march to an unlikely French Open victory as a fresh-faced 17-year-old, that Michael Chang, he pulled out the underarm serve against his idol, Ivan Lendl. Did he? Deep in the tournament, yes, and totally put off Lendl. And and if there's one thing that Ivan Lendl has, it's a good sense of humour. <laughs> as he probably just extracted a small Michael Chang voodoo doll from his back pocket and just pierced it with uh, the handle of his racket i assume that was purely chang unable to reach the server square with his overhead serve that's quite possible do you remember michael chang early in his career 
<laughs> he was the first to actually get that overextended head racket. <laughs> yes. And I think as a general rule, if your racket stands taller than you from head to toe, you shouldn't be allowed to swing it. It was like one of those novelty <laughs> things you might see at an amusement park. I would have been so annoyed if I had been beaten by him. Did you have anything else? Well, I heard Nadal stepped on a line in Mexico, which was pretty significant. <laughs> really? Yeah, so he might be For out. those of you not following tennis too closely, uh, Nadal has the most crazy... Superstitions. Yes. Mm. And it seems like he just keeps building on them. Totally. So it's every time he goes to a new tournament, he's added a couple of strange idiosyncrasies and it's gotten to the point where, yeah, he has to tap himself three times left on the chest and right on the chest and pluck a wedge and then... Yeah wedgie himself and then extract that <laughs> aforementioned wedge <laughs> it's just beyond belief it's the seven minute yoga routine that's really getting <laughs> on my goat before each serve how is that guy not getting pinged for time wasting yeah it's unbelievable it's a good question it's a good question no one wants to tell nadal to get his hands off his ass so <laughs> continues to get away with it has anyone ever been done for sexual assault on themselves <laughs> It's just a general question. <laughs> we'll look into it for uh, our, <laughs> okay. our next podcast. Asking the big questions <laughs> on the backhanders. <laughs> he does like to give himself a backhand, though, which is kind of nice. <laughs> well, Cut is coming into the French. It's so important to, to get a sense of the form guide, to, to be able to appreciate who's up, who's up and about, and who's just run out of puff before it's all even begun. So we'll do that through our segment that we like to call Fed up and poo down. I'll give you the racket and we'll no, see, how many no. times, see how many times you can return your serve also. You're, you're a professional tennis player. I'm not. Okay. 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 Roger Federer. Year after year, Grand Slam after Grand Slam. I mean, you make it look so easy and obviously mm. it isn't. How do, how do you keep doing it? Yeah, look, uh... There's no secret behind it, you know. I mean, definitely a very talented player. <laughs> For those who heard in episode one, this, of course, is named after the great The Fed, uh, you know, and who, who might be uh, following in the shadows of the great man and, of course, who might be following in the skid of uh, the great Mark the Pooh Philippusis. So, Catters... Who for you is up and rising and who's disappointing us? Yes, my fed up for this episode is someone who you're probably unfamiliar with, one Yudis Chong. Right. Uh, you might not be familiar with that name. She hails from Hong Kong. She is into the top 400 like a rocket. In the last three months, she's jumped 102 places. So wow. from cellar dweller to top 400 where she belongs if you ask me her strategy has been quite simple how familiar are you with the luan championship in china oh not particularly go on what about namangan in uzbekistan up uh, more so yes, yes continue andijan in uzbekistan yeah relatively hong kong three <laughs> <laughs> okay suffice to say she's taken it off road in the last three months playing a bunch of backwater tournaments I've never heard of. Oh, no, she also played Hong Kong 2 and Hong Kong 1. So she she played so well in Hong Kong that she was invited back for the sequels. 
she has just gone completely rogue and performed mediocre in a bunch of tournaments and found a life hack into the top 400 <laughs> and i for one am a huge fan so i feel like she's she's followed in the footsteps of carolina wozniaki to um, <laughs> perform in tournaments nobody's ever heard of only to uh be a tourist at every open very true is she challenging at the french i.e will she go through qualifiers and no wisely she's giving the french a miss in favor for the kazakh open which is coming up in almaty <laughs> uh, i do need to draw attention to the fact that in the uzbekistan open in the round of 32 which is the opening round let's face it there's no more than <laughs> 64 people challenging for the uzbeki i want to say frying pan i'm not sure what they give you um she beat Iwana Gasper. She beat the great Gasper. <laughs> the great Gasper. Gasper's ranking is listed as 9,999 <laughs> in the world. There is nobody else within, within 8,000 of her ranking. <laughs> Who is this person? I, I have a... How does you and I are ranked higher in women's <laughs> tennis than that? I, can, I honestly think it was like someone left an Amazon cardboard box on the court and they had to position it in the landscape of women's tennis because that is unbelievable. She took it a 7-5 in the first set, so well played. <laughs> Is that the name of a local restaurant or is that? <laughs> Chong up like a rocket in what can I, I can only say is the protected ecosystem of, of Asia. I, I say we throw her to the real players at the US Open and see what she's made of. These are all hard courts. So I think she's yes. just slowly shoring up her position as a wildcard entry, prepping and preparing to play against her first actual human opponent at Flushing Meadows. <laughs> Which will be a mental challenge. Uh, It'll be a shock to the system <laughs> when a ball be. comes back over the net. <laughs> and my poo down is Zverev. Ah, yes. Uh, Alex, Alexander Zverev, is that his name? Sasha Zverev? Is. What is it going to be? Pick a side, Zverev. He's, where is he in the world at the moment? Let me just do some desktop research. Please hold the line. <laughs> He's five in the world, so it's a good effort. My biggest issue with Zverev at the moment is that he just is starting to get a reputation for being a bit of a whinger. He is yeah. complaining a lot. Even when he wins, he's complaining about conditions. I noticed in Miami where they took the bold move to actually build the stadium in the middle of another stadium in some sort of babushka yes. doll-like setup because it was built in a football stadium. That's right, in the Miami Dolphins. Correct. And inside that, they had the center court for the Miami Open. What people don't realize is in the locker room inside that, they had the Badminton World Championships. Um, <laughs> and inside that, they had the World Chess Championships. <laughs> And inside that... Uh, That's it. If you broke open the king, they had a flea circus actually on the chessboard. Yes. They had uh, yeah, the flea world wrestling championships inside the rook. <laughs> um, so anyways, bold move. He was complaining that he was being distracted by something or another. Uh, he also has complained about having a cold. I think he's pulled out of tournaments due to the flu or to having a cold. And I just get the impression he's a little bit on the nose with some of the established 
tennis media, such as you and myself, who think he's a bit of a mm. whinger. And mm. uh, I'm, I'm not that impressed. And look, I just don't think it's a good look for Germany right now that you've got him and Kerber carrying on in that way. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. You think this is a bit reflective of German culture, do you, Ben? No, I wouldn't go that far. Look, Petkovic, Andrea Petkovic is my all-time favourite female player at the moment. My dream is to have her on this podcast. She's one of the funniest people in tennis. If you get the chance to see any of her social media stuff, she's one of those people who I don't care if you're dumping out in the first round, stick to your social media. She is the inverse of Eugenie Bouchard. Bouchard, for the love of God, get off the Instagram, get off the Google and the Facebook and swing a freaking racket once in a while. Well, she actually uses as a racket now a selfie stick. (laughs) It's a point well made, Cutters. It's a point well made. Yeah, it could have been a little bit more... uh a little bit more succinct, uh, succinct perhaps. <laughs> the fact that I can't even work, find the word for succinct shows how unsuccinct <laughs> I am. What have you got for this important segment? Well, I, I just wanted to make note too in what's not a good sign for Zvarev. That's now the second time he's been pooed down in the uh, the backhanders podcast. Is that so right? Considering how well across we are, so many players cutters. Um, to already get two, you know, large skid marks alongside your name, it, that's that's not good news for Zvarev. But for me, Dominic Team, he's my uh, fed up. Now he's he's been around for quite some time. In fact, he actually was the um, the a finalist at the French Open last year. But interestingly, he beat Fed to claim his first ATP Masters 1000 title in Indian Wells earlier this year. Since then, he's won Barcelona, uh, which was the third career ATP 500 title. So. Uh, there he beat Nadal, so he's taken big scalps. His form has been particularly impressive since he put up a good showing at the uh, Australian Open. So, team, I, I reckon I'm on. I'm starting team, team. I reckon. Well, I have one issue with with Dominic Team, and that is that growing up being a bit of a budding young sportsman as I was myself, my coach has always told me that there is no I in team. <laughs> Very good, very good. Yes, but he's Austrian, and in the uh, you know the wilderness of quality Australian tennis, Austria is certainly close enough to Australian, so we'll also claim him. Uh, no, I'm I'm all for that, and I think it's good that we have Austria. I mean, you know, they're not far from each other, but they're worlds apart in terms of attitude. Austria and Germany, you're on notice, Germany. <laughs> You've come out firing today, Cutters. You're rifling some quality forehands down the line and we're loving it. Great. For me, my poo down is, uh, I hate to say this, but it's it's our friend Nick. It's Nicky Curios. No, 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 no. Not Saint Nick. What have you, what's what's he done to you? Oh, what hasn't he done in the, in the time that we've left you, fair listeners? He has won Mexico. He has won a tournament. He has also failed momentously at times and of course during any one match he takes you on a roller coaster of emotions this could be the second time he's unseated he looks like he'll slide outside of uh, the top 32 for those of you who haven't been following his immediate form he went absolutely nuts at the uh, very recent tournament in uh where was he italy rome in italy italy was it was rome it was it was in the rome masters But he basically went nuts. He was defaulted out of the match as a result of this epic tantrum that he went on. So, which, uh, I don't know, how did you rate his tantrum cutters? Did, well, you, did you get a chance to see? Epic by normal 
professional tennis player standards, mm. mediocre at best by his own. Uh, <laughs> my issue is I don't see the problem with any of this. Like, first of all, he got annoyed. I think he shouted at a ball kid and then he shouted at some of the linesmen. No big deal. That's happened before. And I think he gave away a point for that. Uh, they took issue mostly with the fact that he threw a chair onto the court. Yeah. Who would have thought, eh? And I mean, I did a bit of research on this, but what is the one sporting event worldwide that outranks the Super Bowl in terms of advertising revenue? And that is the WWE wrestling, my friend. Yeah. More chairs on courts, if you ask me. I mean, it's. <laughs> I think it's just double standards. I mean, we reward wrestlers when they do it. And then we practically default a tennis player when he tries the same stunt. All he wants, consistency. All he wants, consistency. That's all we're asking for here. So I, I love it. I mean, I have absolutely no problem with St. Nick carrying on. I think it's good for the game. Uh, it gets the kids talking about it. it um, and I love the fact that he's doing it in tournaments that would otherwise not show up as a blip on the common man's radar. It's too true. I didn't even know where Rome was as a city. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Some people would say that has to do with my educational level, but I'm getting more and more bored with his on-court antics and I'm getting more and more inspired by his off-court honesty. Okay. A la the latest New York Times in-depth podcast interview he did. Mm. And I think that that was just fascinating to hear him just cut sick at all of the tennis players on the tour. I love that because I'm like, look, you know when you, you read those interviews about those bands back in the 80s where they were just all taking too much cocaine and on tour buses for just an inordinate number of hours together mm. and they were like forced families that had to hang out on tour playing 50 cities in 48 nights uh that's what it must be like because you're on tour with these guys 300 days a year you're taking yeah. an unbelievable amount of cocaine in the case of Nick Kyrgios, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> otherwise, how the heck would you explain that behavior? And all he wants to do is rock out. People like Uncle Tony aren't allowing him to rock out. They're questioning his sanity. They're questioning his upbringing. They're questioning his education. And there's no better way of refuting that claim than saying, I went all the way up to year 12, brah. <laughs> <laughs> And for those of you who are not familiar with the, the interview you're referring to, Cutters, he labels Nadal super salty. Yes. And he labels Djokovic cringeworthy and says, I feel like he just wants to be liked so much that I just can't stand him. It was it was pretty strong lingo from the bra, wasn't it, Cutters? Yeah, and a missed opportunity to take a swing at the Germans uh, at large, I thought. <laughs> But good of him to, to pick out certain ones. He said it was... What I found interesting was he said the post-win celebration from Djokovic was cringe-inducing, I think, or cringeworthy. Cringeworthy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I find odd because if you see any footage of him having won the uh, Mexican Open and having to rock what can only be described as a Diamante multicolored sombrero on centre court, I don't <laughs> think he should be firing shots at others. <laughs> Too true. I can't help but feel that Curios is like Thanos. You know, he's got all the stones. He's got all the shots. He should be conquering the world with a click of his fingers. He probably has a similar box office appeal to Thanos, but he, he just... Um, he shouldn't be able to physically lose, and yet he's just got a dopey-looking mug and can't get the job done. A sentence from his last interview said, I lack focus. I don't really care. I party too much during events. 
I do the least preparation of anyone in the top 100. It's pretty astounding. It's incredible honesty and credit to him. Eugenie Bouchard said the exact same, but she had to alter it to anyone in the top 1,000 given her recent form. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wasn't wasn't a big fan. As a tantrum was fairly pedestrian. As a Eurovision uh, audition, it was pretty impressive, Um, you know. Strong voice, interesting artistic choices with the use of a chair. So maybe maybe we push you more in that direction. I, I, you know, I think that is a, a great suggestion. Sometimes we get a little bit caught up in the hysteria. We need to take a step back and realise the French Open is a rubbish tournament. And if people are going to have to stay up late and watch this trash, there better at least be a chance that there's going to be a good old-fashioned chair to the head of the umpire at some point. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just a chair. I mean, the fact the umpire was sitting on it at the time does make it more <laughs> challenging. But I look forward to that that moment where finally, and it's been bubbling for a while, but finally Nick Kyrgios just points to two ball kids and says, you two fight to the death. <laughs> Mad Max 5, rumble on the devil's dirt. <laughs> I'd pay to watch that. So that's some of our, uh, our fed-ups, our poo-downs, but it is really important uh, to give listeners a chance to just get a sense of the form guide. Who's actually been doing well? Who's been doing badly? Because you arrive at these opens after this huge gap and you just have no sense of what people have been doing in the interim. So let's just name a few players and just give some really brief summary so that as you see them hit the French, you're kind of aware of where they're coming from. So Djokovic, what have we seen of Djokovic in this interim period, Cutters? Yeah, Djokovic, I'm going to do this as quickly and as succinctly as possible, unlike the previous 30 <laughs> minutes of this of this podcast. So Djokovic, when he wants to win, he wins. It's as simple as that. When he shows up mm. and he has the hunger in his eyes, no one can get near him. The problem is he's on holidays for most of the calendar year. Correct. I think he's taken two extremely long holidays so far. And who'd blame him? He's got... How many Grand Slams to his name? 14 or so? And he's just... 14. He took the second holiday after saying, I will never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a man of principle and I respect that. So if he shows up to the French and wants it, he'll take it. So I I think he's the man to beat. Next. Yeah. He, um, to add to that, just quickly... Oh, so you've got an opinion too, do you? (laughs) I thought it was my special comments. No, please go ahead. You can bring the gags. I'll bring the facts. I, I need to offer you something to riff on, brah. So during the interim, he won his 33rd Masters 1000 win, which ties him with Nadal for the most ATP Masters won. So wow. as you said, Cat, he had a few months of pretty much non-existent form, uh, losing games he just shouldn't have until he, he topped team quite recently in Madrid. Mm. And since then, he's pretty much said... Oh, I want to start winning. And so uh, he actually beat um, Tsitsipas Suvlaki just recently. Yes. So that was Djokovic. What about his arch rival from the Australian Open, Nadal? What's his form been like since? It's been patchy. I mean, you would know better than me because you actually follow the results. But (laughs) I feel like he's been bundled out in more at the semi-final stage, which is not usually his lead up to the French. Correct. He's lost three consecutive semi-finals, so he's usually unbeatable. Uh, Monte Carlo, Barcelona and uh, Rome. He's usually been dominant in those. He has just made the final of Rome, but three semi-final uh, failings is very un-Nadal-like. Federer is returning to clay for the first time in a couple of years. What do you reckon about Fed? No chance. No chance. There's a better chance of... 
Kyrgios winning the French Open than Roger Federer, in my wow. opinion. I think Federer is just doing his farewell tour. I think he, I mean, he's obviously gearing up for Tokyo next year uh, to finally try and claim a gold in the singles at the Olympics. But for mine, I think Federer is just, he's just showing up. I, I actually don't know why he's even playing. I mean, I think mm. he's obviously prioritizing the slams, but he's never been that strong on clay. And, and I find it unthinkable that he could go any deeper than the start of the second week. I think you're probably right on the money, Cat, as a farewell tour is a good way to put it. And look, he has just pulled out of the Italian Open. So he had been developing some pretty good form, but um, yeah, he's he's now having to hesitate. Anyone else? How about Tsitsipas? What's he been doing? Uh, he's been good. I mean, probably the most remarkable thing with Tsitsipas is just how many tournaments he's playing, not just with singles, but then he's backing it up playing doubles at every tournament. That's true. Which I think is mm. phenomenal. So he's very committed to improving his game. Yep, agree. He's been one of the form players. I think he had the most wins uh, of any player on tour until quite recently. So for me, he, he I, I'd, I'd be putting some money on him as a bit of a dark horse at the French, I reckon. So there you go. There's some big names to look out for. Any other surprising male tennis players, Cutters? Some of the guys in midfield that potentially could uh, come from nowhere? Yeah, there are, but I can't really remember them. Um, there's been some <laughs> popping up uh, throughout... <laughs> throughout the last few tournaments uh, that have interested me, but uh, I'll do some research and I'll, I'll have them ready for our special mid-French open edition of the backhanders. Well, it is the one thing with the French is you kind of know, come the quarters, there's three or four players you have never heard of before. Yeah. So I'm half expecting Udice Chong to bob up again this year. <laughs> um, let's move to the women. Um, we need to know. Serena, she was all up and about the Australian Open. What do we expect to see from Serena? Yeah, she's been cruelled by some injuries uh, leading up to the French, but she has confirmed that she'll be there at Roland Garros. Mm. I don't know with Serena. There's no form guide, so it's very hard. You know, you can only the only form guide is the last 15 years where she's dominated women's tennis. So we all said, where well, she she's barely got going. I mean, she's becoming. I don't know. She's it's almost like a Mrs. Potato Head. She's almost uh, she's got limbs and arms has fallen apart at the moment. So yeah. whether she can actually be able to get on court with enough form because she's not getting any games under her belt. So she can often keep matches short and sharp. She can destroy players, but if she has to get deep in a tournament, if she's you know caused to run around a lot, and you know there's some good up and coming players on the you know in a wide open women's field. Um, it's hard to picture her getting to the pointy end of a slam anymore. Asaka looks similar to Serena. I mean, she, again, was dominant Australian Open. We assumed she'd have a dominant, you know, year. She's been very patchy and had some injury concerns of her own. So uh, hopefully she gets her, her kit together. Not convinced French is, is her surface, but, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that she continues to deliver some of the tennis we saw at the Australian Open, which impressed us so much. It seems that Osaka's in the midst of some sort of existential crisis. I know she got rid of her coach, mm. and she's been asking a lot of yes. deep questions in the, the press, and she just seems like mm. she's kind of lacking a bit of drive at the moment. And if you're looking for meaning in life, I would suggest uh, the French Open is not a place to go find it. <laughs> if I were her, I would just chill out, go surfing for a little bit longer and, and get in fresh uh, for Wimbledon. It's a great call. It's a great call. Kiki Burtons, she has probably been the form player, I reckon, of late. So uh, you may not have heard heaps about her. I think she's ranked six at the most. So she's actually up to four in the world, you'll find now. Oh, is that right? There you go. Yep. 
and uh, she looks sensational. She beat uh, Simona Halep in the final of Madrid in straight sets, and she looks... Yes. Well, Simona Halep's another one that we should mention because she's always going to be dangerous. And there's a few other names that I, I reckon are, are pulling together some ripping form at the moment. Kvitova's one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think she'll be there and thereabouts. I think uh, from an Australian perspective, we can't help but root for Barty, but uh, her, her clay court form has not been matching some of her earlier in the year hard court form. So we're not expecting a great deal from her. And to be honest, I think Stoza is more likely um, even though we haven't seen a whole lot of her in the lead-up. So don't have too high expectation on Barty uh, this year around, but uh, look, we'll always cross her fingers because she's a terrific player. My only other dark horse going in would be Sloane Stevens. I think she could be a Ooh. real chance there. She's been there and thereabouts in the lead-up tournaments, and I think she's someone who could float under the radar. I think if ever there's been a, a slam that has hinged on the draw then that will be crucial coming up because if it opens up for one of those players that you know are top 10 but might not have shown as much form going into it, it could be a, a big opportunity to go deep. It's a great call. It's a great call. So, look, there's a lot of players to look out for. Others, like Benchik and, jeez, um, oh, you could throw a blanket over that women's field particularly at the moment. So, Geez, it'll be a good French Open, a big good French Open, particularly on the women's side. We'll be watching with great fascination. Love it. I didn't understand a word you're saying, but it was, it's not important. Catters, I'm sorry to do this to you, but we're about to start the French Open. So on the dawn, just as they're about to uh, do the draw, and of course that will dictate all sorts of options and possibilities, but... Before we know all those things, look into your beautiful French crystal ball and as the the red dust settles, who is standing there? Who's going to win the tournament this year? I think that defending champion Simona Halep uh, will win. Uh, We didn't mention her that much in this episode, but I think she's had pretty solid form. She's still number two in the world and I think she's one of those consistent campaigners on clay. Back-to-back's pretty huge, Cutters. Back-to-back. It is huge. Uh, my other predictions, Novak Djokovic for the men's. I can see that he has this on his radar. He seems motivated. And my final prediction is we will receive a lot of disgruntled emails from German tennis fans throughout the week. <laughs> what about you, Lightning? What are, what are your uh, predictions here? On the women's side, a very open field, as we've mentioned. An exciting field. I, I almost look to that side with more interest than the men's. I, I have a feeling that Kiki Burton's might get the job done. So she just got done by Conta in the most recent tournament in Rome at the moment, but I I feel like she's got the form to, to, to carry it through. So, And, uh, you know, Kiki Burton's was my porn name growing up too, so I, um, you know, it would be good to see that name etched on a, uh, on a uh, plate as they present that at the French too, so... Um, and then uh, I, I think on the men's side, I think team is where I'm headed. I think Dominique will uh, do the biz. And that's in a strong field. Nadal's still going to be a threat. Fed's going to be around, but not quite there. There's some Again, it's it's an open field, but Dominic team for me. This uh, podcast is going to revisit mid-open. We're going to check in on our predictions and we can revisit where we think we're at. And then, of course, we'll do a post, a review episode. So it'll be interesting, Catters, to see whether you or I are still in it uh, during the French Open. As we leave the podcast this week, a small nod. I get down on my knee as 
Andy Murray has recently, who's just been knighted. So congratulations, wow. two-time Wimbledon champion, Andy Murray. Who would have thought? And he's playing at low-key. I don't think he has confirmed or denied if he will show up for his first-round match on a white horse. It would be... <laughs> It would be very showman-like. If it was if it was Federer, there'd be some special edition Nike, I don't know, silver armory that he'd rock up in with. Ink. <laughs> but uh, I think Andy might play it a little more low-key. Plus, if he put the armor on, he'd probably find a way of injuring his hip beyond repair. So <laughs> take it easy, my good friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't use the knighting as some kind of almost Reiki healing ritual or some attempt to, you know exercise some demons or something so look look one other sneaky prediction though cutters my suggestion is federer is going to bring back the mo <laughs> what i reckon any swan song federer to bring back that dirty little mo that he rocked for the first couple of years on tour so with that bold prediction backhanders listeners we leave you as we enter the french open and just remember Quiet, please. If he brings back the Mo, he's going to have to name himself Kiki Federer. <laughs> I've come to clean the devil's dirt. 